This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants 18+. plus. Rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George. Well, Pete, um, we've been spoilt, really, in, in recent weeks because this is a extremely rare occurrence for us. We have to sit here and talk about a defeat today. And a defeat that you and I have been chatting off air, a defeat that stings a bit, if I'm honest. Not because Burnley didn't deserve to win last night. I think any reasonable Albion fan would admit that we were second best over the course of the 90 minutes and that they probably deserve to win the game on the balance of, well, everything really. And we'll run through the stats in a minute. But I think what stings a bit is the nature of the of the two goals because the stat that jumped out to me when I started doing the research for this podcast is, I mean, we'll run through them now. We were dominated in practically every area. 17 shots to for Burnley versus our eight, 659 passes to our 290. So, you know, well over double the amount of, uh, of passes. Um, I think, no, I, yeah, uh, yeah, well over the double the amount of passes. I was questioning my own maths for a moment there. You can see why I dropped, uh, dropped maths at A level. Um, 43 crosses versus nine. They even won more tackles, 15 versus 11. The only Burnley player with under 80% pass accuracy was Ashley Barnes, whereas Albion had six under 60%, five of those starters. I mean, they dominated us in practically every statistic you want to look at, except for one, Pete, and that's shots on target, where it was two versus two. So whilst Burnley had so much of the game, they actually didn't trouble us that heavily throughout the throughout the 90 minutes. Palmer didn't have a great deal to do and they've scored with the only two shots on target that they've had. So whilst, yes, we were dominated in large portions of the game and large areas of the match, I'm left here frustrated, and I think you are as well, that when you look at the two goals, one comes from OK Yukoslu being off the pitch and Rogic losing a challenge in an area of the pitch where you would expect Yukoslu to be for them to break forward and score. And the second one... Is, I mean, it's a, it's a really, really top draw free kick from Twine, but it's arguably with the amount of players we've got on the edge of the box, a foul that Wallace doesn't need to give away. Whilst we lost a game to the best side in this division and you can't cry about us losing two games in 10, uh, in 10 matches, this one hurts a little bit, doesn't it? Because I, I think whilst we didn't maybe deserve more, we quite easily could have got more. Absolutely. And Burnley were excellent in possession, especially early stages of it. They played out, played past our press very easily. Um, and then they pressed us really well as well when they didn't have the ball and won the ball back relatively easily. So in terms of that, they were brilliant and probably the best team we've seen all season for that. But like Is you it say, fair to say that, you know, when I rattle through those stats there, Pete, I mean, they are frightening. 
there isn't another team in the division that could do to us what Burnley did to us last night. Is that fair? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, the only other team that can maybe pass the ball is that, as well as that, a, a Swansea. But again, they're not always that threatening in the final third. They just keep the ball excellently and move it around well. Looking at it like that, Burnley were excellent, but didn't create an awful lot with the possession that they had. Um, I think we defended it pretty well and their best chance in terms of the expected goals value was the one that they scored and that was scored whilst Akai Kujli was off the pitch and goal kick that went straight into the area that he would have either charged for the first ball and probably won knowing his ability in the air or being ready to pick up the second ball and, and stopped. I can't remember who played it through to Teller but whoever played it through would have stopped him from doing that so I imagine it would have been prevented if Yakushlu wasn't off the pitch after his treatment. And yeah, the second goal as well is just, I think it's, it's stupid really to give away a free kick on the edge of the box when they've got Scott, Scott Twine on the pitch who, I can't remember how many he scored last season, but he's got a lot of free kicks for MK Dons last, last season. And well, also when he came onto the pitch, the Sky commentator said, here's Scott Twine and his, his career at Burnley really hasn't taken off yet. So the lad was absolutely nailed on to t- put it top bins, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, I think he's been injured for most of the season, to be fair. So it might be a bit harsh on him. But yeah, I mean, last season, at least, he was absolutely incredible with his free kicks. And it's just, yeah, I agree. I think it was a challenge that Wallace didn't need to make. I think he did just clip. Um, he, get, he gets his foot between his legs so that the lad kicks Wallace's heel, which I know players don't like seeing given as a foul against them. For me, it is a foul. I think the difference is if you've put your foot there and you've not got the ball, when they they are in control of the ball, I think it's a foul. And I do think that one's a foul. I don't I don't argue with it. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's close, but yeah, it's a foul. Um, and it's just when you've got players... That many players in the box, I just don't think you have to um, commit it. And yeah, as I say, with Scott Twine on the pitch, it's an even bigger risk than against basically any other team in the division. Um, so yeah, the nature of the goals were pretty frustrating, I think, from an Albion point of view. And it wasn't, it was obviously a dominant performance from Burnley, but they weren't particularly dominant in actually creating chances, which is, well, behind goals probably the most important thing to look at. Do we really need to worry in in any great sense or should we actually take a lot of positives from the performance against Burnley that we we really did restrict a team of that quality that we know can go and dominate games and particularly in the first half I thought we were actually probably the more likely team. I'm not, I'm not being blind to the fact that, um, that, 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 you know, they, they've obviously hit, uh, they've hit the bar through Ashley Barnes. They've had that one that's hit Peters and, uh, and Palmer's turned it onto the post. They've had a couple of good chances and they probably should have a penalty when, uh, when Furlong goes through the back of, of Brownhill. But nonetheless, I thought, I mean, we, we, we probably should have scored the corner before we scored from anyway. Every time we got a set play, we were absolutely dominating them. I, My personal opinion, Pete, is that I think the disallowed goal is extremely soft. I think Muric just panics and throws it in the back of his own net. I realise that goalkeepers are a protected species and that generally speaking, those sort of things are going to get given. I certainly don't re- blame the referee for giving that as um as as a as a foul because I thought he had an excellent game all the way through last night. But for I know 95% of referees give that. I don't think it's a penalty. I sorry, I don't think it's a foul. I think the goalkeeper's got to be stronger. And also DK where he overtouches it and gives Charlie Taylor the opportunity to block. He's got to score. So there's a very good argument to say we should have gone in at half time further ahead. But when we didn't, there was always a likelihood we were going to get pressed back and back and back. And to be fair to us, I thought we coped with it brilliantly until, and this is a very rare occurrence, Corbran made a mistake for me. He brings off Swift, he brings on Rogic, and I understand from listening to him post-match why he did it. He was worried about the fact that we were getting deeper and deeper and deeper, and he wanted to see us get up the field and attack. But we've already seen it against Coventry this season that Rogic 
is not a player for games when you are losing the midfield battle and when you're not having a great deal of the ball. He loses the challenge for the first goal. Yes, it's an area, okay, your Koslu should be in, but when he's not, Rogic has got to be stronger in there. He is a big, tall lad. He's got a powerful frame. And I tell you what, if he was battling for a header in the penalty area to score a goal, I bet he'd be a lot stronger than he is jumping for that header in the middle of the park. And it was a mistake by Corbran to, to, to bring him on. I thought Swift was largely excellent last night. I, I didn't think he was... I was surprised when he was the one that was withdrawn. But if you were going to withdraw somebody to bring somebody else on, it probably would have been Taylor Gardner-Hickman to put into the middle of that midfield for me. And this isn't me being smart with hindsight. I uh, I turned to my other half when, 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 he, when he brought Swift off and went, I wouldn't be doing that. Carlos Corbrand doesn't make a lot of mistakes. And if he didn't make any mistakes, he wouldn't be West Bromwich Albion manager. So we're certainly not going to sit here and have a go at him. But this is one of the rare occurrences that he did get something wrong. But equally, Pete, the fact that it's all swung on one poor substitution from the manager, going back to my original point, actually reassures me a little bit in the sense that I think we were good for much of the rest of the game. Yeah, I think um, to start with... The referee had a very good game and probably the best display we've seen all season. You can kind of see why he's does some Premier League stuff as well. Um, I think the Yakuzlu header and the challenge on Murich was, again, it was a bit of a 50-50 one that if that was against Albion and it was Burnley scoring the goal, then I'd definitely want it disallowed. But for Albion, I'm, I'm kind of hoping it stands, but I definitely understand why it didn't. And then the furlong one as well, that, Similarly, if let, me was... put it, let me put it another way, Pete. If that was in the Premier League and the goal is given initially by the referee and it goes to VAR under the new high bar that Howard Webber set, do you think it gets overturned by VAR? Probably not now, after the what Howard Webber seems to have in- introduced. Um, but two or three months ago, then I'd say it definitely gets overturned because, well, goalkeepers are just very protected in the air. So, yeah, I think, well, it'll be interesting to see what they do when we do get one similar to that, because I'm sure there will be one. Yeah, and the furlong challenge through the back of, was it Barnes that he, he kind of pushed through? I think um, it's Brownhill. Brownhill. Yeah, I think it was now. Um, yeah, again, that was kind of one where if that was at the other end of the pitch, I'd definitely be wanting a penalty for it. Um, so to be fair, it probably should have been, but the rest of the decisions, the dives... Um, he's got to watch that a little bit though, Furlong. That's not the first time I've seen him make that challenge. No, and it's it was a strange thing to do. It was, I mean, it was similar to what he did for the goal, to be honest, because he he definitely gave. I think it was Charlie Taylor who was marking him initially a little shove before he he headed it in. Agreed, but stupidly, whilst there shouldn't be two different rules for attackers and defenders, that's one you get away with when you are going for a ball, but it's not one you get away with when you're defending. No, and it was, to do it at that end of the pitch, I think it was quite smart, because um, it gave him the gave him that space to head it in, and I think we said it a few weeks ago that we, we kind of highlighted Townsend for needing to score more goals than the chances he gets, but equally, Furlong does get quite a lot of chances for a fullback, and and well, hopefully that's the first of a few that he starts putting in into the uh, the end push of the the second half of the season. Uh, and talking about Corbrand's changes, I think yeah, I think he probably he probably got that one wrong. But I mean, we've said it off air that both uh, any substitute a manager makes is is a gamble, really. And that one he seems to have got wrong. I think the reasoning that he mentioned in his post match interview kind of made sense that he wanted Albion to attack more and. To do that, we needed players that are comfortable receiving in tight spaces when Burnley were pressing so aggressively. So in that sense, Rogic made sense. It's just that you're sacrificing some of the defensive stability. Um, so it's a gamble between keeping that defensive stability and just trying to hold on for the, for the win or trying to push up the pitch a bit more, have a bit more possession, attack and actually threaten Burnley, which in theory would have been a would have been good, but it just it didn't seem to work for Rogic last night. You mentioned the defensive stability there, Pete. Do people underestimate how much the likes of Matt Phillips, who was obviously missing last night, um, Swift, who was brought off, and Wallace, who did play the 90 minutes, actually give to us 
defensively because they're attacking players. And when you lose two of those out of the side, and no disrespect to, to those that came in, because I think Grady works hard defensively. Uh, and I mean, yeah, a bit of disrespect to Rogic, because we're going to come on to that in a minute. I felt he let the side down last night. And I think there's a wider point to be had on, on Rogic. But I think, I think because John Swift in particular is such a offensive weapon for us, I think it can, and, and I think, I think Matt Phillips, because he's kind of got a languid style to him, I think it can fly under the radar how much these guys actually offer to us going the other way. And I think to get into sort of like the 70th minute yesterday with neither of them on the pitch, I think is, you know, I think it created a problem for us. Yeah, I think we we were pressing maybe a bit too much early on. Um, we seem to really want to get at them to start off with, but you've got to give it to Murich. He was excellent in supporting the build-up and playing passes. 95% I mean, a... pass completion rate from a goalkeeper, Pete. That's crazy. And he played about half of them with the outside of his foot. I was, I, I had no idea what he was doing when he was doing it. I thought it was like a miss kick. I thought we were about to pick it off and break, but they were like pinpoint accuracy into his midfielders. Um, so he really supported them in early stages of build up and made it very difficult to press them because they just had, it's like having an extra man. And especially when the goalkeeper is that comfortable on the ball and can pass like he did. So generally they were just picking us off when we were pressing. Um, and I think we kind of, we might have wasted a lot of energy doing that. And I think I noticed towards maybe like the 55, 55th minute, 60th minute, we looked like we were definitely tiring when we were making the recovery runs to get back after they had. Did we the... did we burn DK out? Because there was one where we popped over the top, probably, I think it was before the equaliser, and he had a straight foot race with Charlie Taylor. And he, Daryl DK lost a foot race with Charlie Taylor. It shouldn't happen, but he looked exhausted. I've heard a lot of people saying that he's slow. And he, since we've seen him, since he's come back from injury, he's definitely looked it. But I watched quite a lot of them when we first signed him and we first linked with him from his time at... He wasn't slow getting onto that ball at Luton last week. No, and he wasn't slow when he was playing for Orlando or uh, Barnsley. Yeah, I don't think he's a slow player. I don't know if he's he was just tired from the first half because he did, he did put a lot of work in to close down uh, the defenders and the goalkeeper. And maybe he's maybe it might be psychological that he doesn't want to put everything in whilst he's tired because of the the injuries he's had to his thighs, his hamstrings, and his quads. Um, it might be psychological, but yeah, he's, I'm pretty certain he's not slow, but he's he's definitely looked it recently. So, yeah, because, well, obviously for Barnsley, he would have done a lot of pressing under Ishmael, and a lot of the work that he would have done going forward would have been transition. So, you know, sprinting and getting in behind, um, which is where he should be should be good, as well as being a target. So, yeah, I don't think we've seen the, the best of DK yet. Um, and I think he did struggle against Burnley, but... I certainly wouldn't be writing him off because I think that if you can get him fit and you can get him that, I think that's probably where Brandon Thomas Asante is important as well because giving us the option to rotate so that he can put in 100% each game rather than thinking, oh, I'm starting the next game as well in however many days and, and all of that. So I suppose that comes down to the squad depth that I think you want to talk about in a bit. So I'm sure we'll get onto that. Absolutely. And we will come on to that. I mean, just one more before we do, Pete. And when we, uh, to be honest, it leads us on to squad depth, but it also couples on to Corbran making what is a rare mistake. I've seen a few people say this, and I think there's legs to it, that his first mistake was Tuesday night at, at, at 3-0 up, bringing on Phillips and Wallace was such a gamble into a game that they, you know, did did they need to come on? And, and we now seem to have lost Matt Phillips for the reports are somewhere between six and twelve weeks, which is just an enormous blow. And I know this is all well and good with hindsight, but we were three 0 up against a non-league team. Did did we need to chuck Matt Phillips on? Did we need to risk Jed Wallace, who who we needed, or should we have just let players who weren't going to play against Burnley complete the ninety minutes? Yeah, in hindsight, it definitely seems like a, a risk that we didn't need to take. And, um, I mean, probably at the time as well, to be honest, if you're 3 0 up or, yeah, 3 0 up against a non league opposition, I think with the players that we had on the pitch, we would have been comfortable seeing it out. So, yeah, that, yeah, it's a bit questionable, but 
again, would you expect Matt Phillips to pick up a long-term injury for, what was it, was it 20 minutes or so against... Um, no, but equally, Pete, it's a it's a sub zero Tuesday night. He sat on he sat on a bench for seventy minutes in the freeze in the freezing cold. As much as he will do warm ups up and down the touchline, there's only so warm he can he can get. It's very different to asking asking the guy to come on, you know, uh, on a on a balmy Tuesday night in it, 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 for a League Cup game in September, isn't it? it it's a, it's a different cat. I just didn't think it. Was, I, I thought it was odd when he made the changes on Tuesday night. I just didn't think he needs needed to risk such key players for us, especially given different with Jed Wallace. But I still wouldn't have risked him. But Matt Phillips has got such a record with injuries as well. Yeah, the injury record as well it probably should have played a part in the thinking. Um, obviously, as Alpine fans, we we definitely know. What it's been like over the years, he's regularly been regularly been out injured. Um, but then I suppose the other issue is maybe that we put out a very strong, well, not put out, but we had a very strong bench. I think, apart from uh, Malcolm, the whole bench consisted of starting players. So we maybe could have done with a couple, taking a couple of them out and putting in some youth players that could potentially come on if we are leading but then I suppose you take the risk of if yeah. it isn't going well. Well then... that's it I mean he's got, he's, he's got what happened in the first game in the back. I understand having them there I just didn't think he needed to use them True but again would you want John Swift playing the full the full 90 minutes so yeah I think it's a difficult one. But then John Swift off the Javan Malcolm if that's your one change I suppose um, yeah and then the rest of the squad would have been wouldn't have been starting 11 players apart from, well, I suppose, no, Dan Garner's not, is he? Because Matt Phillips would be ahead yeah, of him. Yeah, if Matt but, Phillips doesn't injure himself, Grady doesn't play against Burnley. No, but, I mean, that's just from, I'm just providing a counter-argument to you here. The only thing is, we don't know what the sports science team and the physios and everything has said, and maybe certain players shouldn't be playing more than a certain amount of minutes, etc. But, yeah, I mean, in from our point of view, it looked like a, a risky decision that we didn't need to take when we're 3-0 up against non-league Chesterfield. So, yeah, it's probably a, a poor decision on Corbrand's behalf. Um, but, you know, we're not going to criticise him too much because, well, just look at the, the results since he's come in. So he's, he's not not really made many wrong decisions, has he? Of course. I mean, we're certainly not going to sit here and get on at, at Carlos Corbrand. It's just, look, we, we, we pride ourselves on being balanced on this, on, on this podcast. And we're, we're not going to, you know, we, we try and give you the information as cold as we can, whilst at the same time being two very passionate Baggies fans. And I think you just have to be honest when Carlos Corbrand makes a rare mistake. But as I said before, if Carlos Corbrand made zero mistakes, he would not be managing West Bromwich Albion in the championship. So we have to be glad that we have a manager who, you know, manages 10 games, gets eight of them right, gets two of them a little bit wrong. I, for one, can live with that. What I am more concerned about, Pete, is, and going back to your point about squad depth, that, and we said this at the start of the season, two, three injuries and we're decimated. And that seems to be the case again, really, doesn't it? Because, I mean, we, we're, we're without Bartley at the back, but we're coping fine with, with without without him at the moment. But in terms of offensive players, you lose Matt Phillips and you lose Brandon Thomas Asante. And it's a real problem because you look at that bench against Burnley and we we are struggling. We are really, really struggling for who do you bring on when the tide is turning against us to, to actually turn it back in our favour. And you look at who Burnley are bringing on and, you know, Benson, Jay Rodriguez, you know, players, players like this. Fantastic, fantastic footballers. And that's the difference, isn't it? That's the difference between the top two and the rest. And whilst we've got no money... I think we're going to have to find something behind sofa cushions for a couple of loans because Gourlay, and we'll come on to talk about Gourlay's um, interview a little bit later on, but Gourlay made it quite clear that it is promotional bust to a certain degree this season. That's how I interpreted it anyway. He, he was He was very clear that some quite serious action was going to have to be taken if we don't go up this year. 
And this is going to be our best shot. This is comfortably our best shot because we don't go up this year. I think realistically, you look at it and DK is not a West Bromwich Albion player next season. There's a possibility neither is Brandon Thomas Asante. Quite possibly neither is Jed Wallace, John Swift, all these sorts of players. And I think if we're going to get over the line, Corbran needs a couple of loans, doesn't he? Quite, quite desperately in probably, probably in forward areas or at least in midfield and forwards. I'd say so, yeah. And it's it kind of comes down to the the issue that we've spoken about many times before that there's no joined up thinking um from within the club. So Corbyn's come in and he's inherited a we always call it a mismatch of players, um, from different managers and it's just not a joined up recruitment and um in terms of players as well as managers, because if it was a squad that was built for a style similar to Corran's, then he might not be suffering so much. But under Bruce, we had well, we had three players that Bruce considered to be strikers in Daryl DK, Brandon Thomas, Santi, and Carlin Grant. But Corbrand's coming in and clearly doesn't fancy Carlin Grant as a striker. So now we've only got two, and with one of them suspended, we're down to one. So that's where the the shortage comes in because the players aren't. Uh, recruited for for the same style as what Corbyn wants to play. If we'd if we're under Bruce, then it might not look like we've got a, a lack of squad depth because Bruce would still have two strikers. He'd have Colin Grant and Daryl DK. Um, so yeah, a lot of it comes down to the players that we have brought in and the thinking behind just the general direction of the club. So at the minute, we we definitely need some additions. I'd say in striker. Probably some fullbacks as well, especially now that Zach Ashworth's gone out on loan. We've now only really got Adam Reach's cover for left back, and I suppose Eric Peters could shift across there. But yeah, I think I don't think either of the fancied as a natural left back at the minute. Well, either, if if either fullback got injured, your your only solution is to move. Depending on which fullback got injured, is to move the the existing centre half into fullback and check and bring somebody else into centre half. That's really the only solution, isn't it? Yeah, and I can't imagine Colbrand wants to disrupt his back line that much. I think he'd much rather just keep the two centre backs the same and they're probably comfortable playing with each other at the minute and you don't want to disrupt that for just because you lose a fullback, you just want to straight swap that fullback for somebody else and leave the rest of the back line as it is because it's playing well. I suppose you could put Gardner Hitman into right back, but as we've seen not, That's for, not, really... not for me, Pete. Uh, he he was he he. I mean, he he got took to the cleaners again by by Dobra against against Chesterfield. Two games against a good non-league player, but a non-league player nonetheless. I you know I I really really wouldn't want to see it. Exactly. So again, that's where we're that's where we're probably lacking. Um, I've seen us linked with O'Brien from Forest, who Corbran had it. Um, Huddersfield last season as well who I think if we could get him in on loan would be an excellent signing um, and would provide competition to the likes of Mulumbi and, and John Swift which is you know it's always useful to have that level of competition but it probably wouldn't be my first priority in terms of position that we need to recruit in no, but then again Pete once again if if anything happened to either of those two we are we are pretty stuffed for what we've got off the bat. Uh, we've got Taylor, who I think is 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 a good player in that area, but certainly certainly Taylor couldn't do your Coslu's role. He could maybe do Malumbi's, but certainly couldn't do your Coslu's. And Livermore, I, I, I to be honest, I think he's probably largely finished as a Championship player for us. I think I'd agree with that. Um, but then he might see Livermore as a natural replacement for your Coslu. It's just. He does definitely lack the mobility. Um, yeah, I mean, we are kind of short in those positions. I think Gunn Himmer could do a decent job of what Malumbi's been doing. I wouldn't say to the same level because these last couple of months, Malumbi's been absolutely excellent. And he was against Burnley as well, I thought. Um, and was unlucky not to have a goal as well because that was a nice overlapping run that he, or underlapping run that he made. And I mean, he probably should have put it across the box. But in terms of defensive stuff and Winning his duels, he was superb um, and very dominant, especially in that first half. Those two have been the stars for me in recent weeks. Yukoslu and, and Malumbi, they're just they're, they've just been absolutely fantastic. But I mean, just going back to something you said about how we've got the recruitment 
wrong in in recent week or, or recent years, Pete. There was a quote in Elias Burke's article in the Athletic um, under the title, uh, well, under the question that was asked of Gourlay, "Where's the money gone?" I'm going to read the quote verbatim from from what um, from from what Elias put out. Ian, Ian Pierce got some unfair media about past purchases and recruitment at the club, which wasn't really down to him. But I understand fingers will be pointed in that area because we wasted a lot of money. Well, I'm sorry. How is it unfair criticism to Ian Pierce, who runs our recruitment team, if we've made poor signings and he and the main criticism we've had of Ian Pierce on this uh, on this podcast has been. What actually does he do? We don't understand what he does because there's, none of the recruitment seems to be down to him. By the way, some of the poor, poor signings that we've made, we have never sat here and said, that's Ian Pierce. That one's Ian Pierce. That one's Ian Pierce. That one's Ian Pierce. We've never said that. What we've said is the bloke's stealing a paycheck because we don't understand what he's doing for his money every week. And Gourlay has, to me, quite literally confirmed that here. Ian Pierce got some unfair media about past purchases and recruitment at the club, which wasn't really down to him. Why is the guy who runs our recruitment team not making the purchases? Does Gourlay not see that's the problem? I think a big part of it was when, was it after Daryl DK got injured at the start of the season and Steve Bruce got questioned about, oh, something you'll have to go and look at the your list of strikers that you might yeah, be looking at. There isn't and then he a said list. there's no list. Yeah. Yeah. So that I think that was a big well, that raised a lot of questions about what Ian Pierce is doing because if there is no list then what is he doing? Um that is literally what his job is to to have a list of players that they've looked at and think is a potential um might be interested in us and we're interested in them. You need that list from your head of recruitment. And then I suppose the other bit was after Bruce got sacked and Elias Burke came out with his article about you know the stuff that's been behind the scenes yeah. with Bruce and and uh, P- Peter's being his neighbour and um, uh, the 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 the, uh, the uh, Bruce's son-in-law recommending Brandon Thomas to Santana. It's so it it feels so like the way things were done in like the seventies and the eighties, Pete. Exactly. Yeah, and I mean it's either I suppose it's one of two things from how I see it. It's either that Ian Pierce isn't doing anything and. Therefore, can't take the criticism of the actual signings, but can definitely take the criticism of being paid by the club and doing nothing. Well, yeah, if, or, he's t- if he can't take the criticism, he shouldn't take the money, Pete. Mm, or there's something wrong with the structure of the club that the head of recruitment isn't being listened to. And I suppose the last year, then that is criticism aimed at Gourlay if he's not got the structure or the trust in his head of recruitment to be leading the recruitment process. Um, so either the way, there's you've got to definitely hear criticism at someone. And at me, I think the question definitely is then, what is it that Ian Pierce is doing if he's not the one leading the transfers? Absolutely. Well, look, we, we, as, as, as anybody who listens to us regularly knows, we could do a whole pod on on Ian Pierce and the recruitment department at the Albion, but we'll we'll move on. And I do want to just uh, reverse back to something that we've briefly touched on before, and and that's Tom Rogic because I, I was disappointed with him, very disappointed with him when he came on against Burnley. As I say, I think that Corbran made a mistake bringing him on. But nonetheless, Rogic has got to do more. He's got to do more on on the goal where Yukoslu is off the pitch and he is weak in going for that header. But then further to that, Pete, he's just got to get into the game more. The stats around Rogic are absolutely frightening. He was on the pitch for... Well, what was a, there was five minutes of added time at the end, wasn't there? So 29 minutes in total. He touched the ball nine times. He made two passes, of which only one was completed, and he was dispossessed twice. So let me just clarify that. Tom Rogic was dispossessed more times than he completed passes. I think that's appalling. I really do. And look, I like Tom Rogic in the sense that I think technically he is probably one of the best players in this division. I think he's an unbelievable technical footballer who can do things that most players in this division can only dream of. But I have big, big concerns over his work rate. We 
raised this after the Coventry game, where we said, "Is Tom Rogic a bit of a luxury player? Is he a game? Is he a player that you can play in games where you don't have a great deal of the ball, where there is going to be a real fight in midfield, where you're going to be on the back foot for periods?" And we begged that question without fully answering it after the after, after the Coventry game. I think we got our answer against Burnley, Pete. I think Tom Rogic is a guy that you can put in against your Rotherham's, Huddersfield's, Blackpool's, teams like that, where you would probably expect to run the game. And you're just going to need to break down what is probably going to be quite a stubborn team. But I don't think I don't think he can be trusted against the division's top sides. What do you think? It's a difficult one because, as you say, he's obviously got tons of technical ability, but it's just a lot of the times that he, he doesn't impact games. And as I said, I think Corbran was bringing him on because he wanted somebody that could receive the ball in tight areas and help us build up and help us get into the, the attacking half and keep the ball there and just try and relieve some of the pressure from the defence. But when he's only made two passes all game, it well, only attempted two passes all game, then it's just clearly not worked. Um, and it's something that I've noticed from him, even in games that he's played well. So take, for example, the, the 3-0 win against Rotherham at the Hawthorns. Um, in that game, he played, I think it was 75 minutes, but he only attempted 21 passes, which is not an awful lot for a player playing, playing in central midfield against Rotherham in a game that we won 3-0. So even when he does have good games, he's not doesn't get particularly involved in games that much. Yeah, I'm not sure what it is, whether it's a mentality thing that he just wants to be casual on the pitch and not really, um, you know, look like he's not particularly trying too hard. And yeah, he just doesn't get involved enough and his defensive work was limited as well. So that kind of left us a bit more open than before he came on. So it's, yeah, it's a very difficult one because he's the quality of players very obviously there it's just whether he's working hard enough and wants to impact games enough it looks like it's maybe more of a mentality thing rather than an actual ability thing because yeah like I say that he's obviously a very good player and I think when we signed him Celtic fans were saying similar stuff that on his day he's absolutely brilliant but he's not going to put the work in defensively and he's not always going to want to look like he wants to play um, so it's a it's a bit of a puzzle for Corbran how to get the best out of him and, and what games he can actually trust him in. I was going to say, do you think he will have learnt a bit about him? I mean, the the reality is coming back to the squad depth, he, he hasn't, he hasn't got a lot of options, has he really? I mean, that's, that's one of the major problems that we've got. He hasn't, he hasn't got a, got a lot of depth of options to, to, to bring up, bring into the game. So when he looks at his bench, and you can understand why he went to Rogic last night, he wanted to get us further up the field, but he will have learnt that Rogic in a game where the game where the game is going against us, will he have learnt he can't trust him? Yeah, potentially. Um, like I say, I understand the reason why he brought him on, and I suppose the only other option, if he wants to take Swift off for whatever reason, then the only other option really would have been Taylor Gardner Hitman. I think Rogic is probably more comfortable. We mentioned his technical ability; he's probably more comfortable receiving the ball in tight areas and getting us forward and kind of controlling possession a bit easier. Um, so that makes sense. But like I say, it didn't work. So you can question it. It's a big question, I think, whether he can trust him in games like that. Because I think Gorbran will definitely be feeling like he, he needed a bit more from Rogic, both on the ball and, and off the ball. I think in terms of building up, we needed players that were going to show a lot of energy to show for passes and make moves to create those passing lanes for the defenders because Burnley pressed it so well and with so much energy that it was extremely difficult for the defenders to to play progressive passes and get past that first line of pressure and a lot of the time we resorted to to going long quite often playing back to Alex Palmer and then going long from there up to up to Daryl DK and I think that's shown when you look at the number of progressive passes that players played our highest number of pr- progressive passes was from Alex Palmer, who had 10. And then after that, the next highest was uh, Darnell Furlong and Dara O'Shea, who were both joined on three passes. So that, yeah, that really does show how we struggled to break that first line of 
of pressure, we just resorted to going long basically to DK. And we needed lots of energy from the central midfielders to to make moves to show for passes rather than just pumping it long and, and often losing the second ball and pressure being straight back on us. It's worth reiterating the point, isn't it, Pete, that when like we, we look at the numbers every week before we come on this podcast and I have never seen a, a, all season. I've looked at the numbers on who scored before every single podcast. And I have never, ever, ever seen Albion numbers like they were last night. Burnley are a freak of a team. Nobody can do to us what Burnley could. Burnley should not be in this division. They're unbelievable, aren't they? And I, I think I just want to reiterate that point a little bit because I think it's important. You know, first of all, we've only lost two in 10, so there's no reason to get carried away whatsoever. But I think it's also important to emphasize who we lost to last night because they are frightening. I mean, what they can do and the options they have off the bench. And I mean, we talk about our recruitment needs to be better. Look at what they're doing. I know it helps that company has been in Belgium and that's where they're picking up a lot of these players from. But wow, you know, they, they're picking up some, they're picking up some players that the lad on the left, Zahore is just, he's frightening. He's absolutely terrifying. And then to be throwing on the likes of, as I say, Benson, who I know had to go back off injured, but then Jay Rodriguez and people like that off the bench. So it's worth emphasizing that. Whilst we did take a bit of a pummeling, but I thought in a very manful sort of a way, in the sense that it it was a bit like it was a bit a bit like a, a boxer who eventually kind of got knocked out in the twelfth twelfth round after you know take, taking uh, taking a bloody nose pretty much all the way through the fight, but staying on their feet, never going to the canvas. I thought I thought that was that's probably the best metaphor I can give for our performance last night. And I think I I think, you know, you you have you have to almost look at it as like, you know, Burnley were Tyson Fury and we were we we were probably somebody about Dillian White's ranking if you know your boxing. Um and that and that's probably where that where that fight was last night. And we still we still took them to the twelve rounds, Pete. Yeah, well, I've dragged the heck out of that metaphor, by the way. <laughs> yeah, well, we're definitely the underdogs, weren't we, going to top of the league? Despite company saying in his pre-match interview that this is one of the few games Burnley go in as not favourites, I immediately went and looked at the bookmakers' odds and went, "Well, they have us as twice as likely to win, uh, twice as unlikely to win as them." So, hmm. yeah, I, I, I'm not sure about them being the underdogs. I think we definitely were going to turf more um, to the top of the league and the squad that they've got and the way that company's got them playing is excellent as well. Yeah, the the way that they built up and kept possession and moved it around was just excellent and we couldn't really get close to them um, in terms of when we were pressing. They just slide straight through us most of the time. I think Nurich was extremely impressive. Zororo was yeah excellent down the left and gave Furlong a a tough time so yeah and then the players that they can bring on off the bench as well so they've got very good players they've recruited very well and they've got what seems they're going to, to walk the ex- league aren't they pete i think so yeah they seem to have got an excellent manager in vincent company as well the way that he's got them playing especially from what you consider from the last five six years to be like a stereotypical burnley it's a massive change in style um that he's done in I think he'll be the season. next City manager. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I, I think when Pep finally knocks it on the head at, at City, I think he'll probably end up there. Yeah, well, it's not a, a million miles away from the way that City like to play, so it could definitely be a natural progression if um company keeps up the way that he's he's going. So I think, yeah, Burnley have they've got, like I say, an excellent squad, good depth, brilliant manager, and they're top of the league for the reason, so it's, it's no disgrace going to Burnley and losing by a single goal, especially the way that we did. I just want to highlight one thing before we before we move on to the the off the field stuff, and uh, and, and and hopefully we're going to be joined by Ali Jones uh, from Action for Albion very shortly as well. Just on the first goal for Burnley, obviously, I'm highlighting this through Albion bias. I'm well aware of that, but okay, Yukoslu is off the pitch because he's gone down injured and he's been made to leave the pitch because he's had treatment 
I just kind of want to highlight just briefly, Pete, how ludicrous that rule has become because it was originally introduced to stop to stop time wasting i.e. to well to save time so that players would the idea was that players would leave the field for treatment that they would actually receive treatment off the pitch so if they were injured that they would go off at the nearest point and they would receive treatment and they would come back on when they've received treatment so that the game could continue whilst the player was receiving treatment that very quickly became not the case and it quickly became the case that players would receive treatment off the pi- on on the pitch so they would waste exactly the same amount of time being down but then they would be sent off at the side of the pitch to then immediately come back on and i'm not blaming the referee because the 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 laws are the laws and it's how it's applied up and down the country I realise I'm highlighting this because it cost us last night. However, it's something that's wound me up for quite a while. That I just think it is the most stupid law that if you legitimately get a player injured, you are then penalised and have to play a portion of the game, however small a portion, as we saw last night, a very small portion of the game with 10 men can cost you you are then penalised for your player getting hurt. Quite often, not the case last night, but quite often from a foul by an opposition player. So actually, they benefit from fouling and hurting your player by reducing you to 10 men for 10, 15, 20 seconds, maybe even a minute. I I just think it's a law that needs looking at, Pete. I think it's ludicrous. And as I say, total Albion bias on my sleeve. I am well aware that the only reason that I am bringing this up is because it cost us last night. But more generally speaking, I think it's a bad law in the game. I think either reapply it to what it was back in the day, which is the player needs to go off the field to receive treatment so that the game can continue, or just get rid of it because... You are penalising players and teams for their players getting hurt, and and in some cases, as I say, you're penalising. You're you're actually rewarding, sorry, the team that fouls and injures a player, and I don't understand it. Well, it's something that was looked at a few years ago, I believe, by the lawmakers, and that resulted IFAB. in the IFAB by IFAB. Thank you. Can't think of the uh, the name, um, but it's. Yeah, it was changed that, and a change was made that doesn't always seem to be applied, which is kind of confusing. If the injury, if the challenge that results in the injury has also resulted in a caution to the player, then the player that's injured doesn't have to go off, but that seems to be, um, scarcely applied and generally the player does go off. And that's also extremely interesting, Pete, because I watch a heck of a lot of football and I had no idea about that. So not only is it scarcely applied, it's, it's, not really particularly well known, is it? I don't think so. Because um, I don't really ever hear it mentioned by commentators or anything. And I don't tend to see it actually happen. And I always kind of question whether I've um, kind of made up a memory of that being introduced. But I have just uh, looked it up and it looks like it was changed in about 2016. So, well, that's about six or seven years now. So it's a strange one that as somebody who obviously watches a lot of football hasn't noticed it. And I think that must be because it's not often applied. Um, so in terms of that, that kind of fixes it because it, if it is that bad of a challenge that makes your player injured, then quite often it would be cautioned, which But surely, the issue surely of... it should be just if it results in a foul, it should, it, then, then they shouldn't have to go off because, because if 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 the player has if if the uh, the team has committed an offence on the pitch, they shouldn't then be rewarded for that by by one of the opposition player by the opposition being reduced a man. But equally, a player could easily make the the most of any foul and you know lie on the floor, receive treatment, and then just get back up and play again, just because they're trying to kill time and and kill momentum of a game. So. I think it's a fine balance between not allowing players to time waste and 
and yeah, take as much time as they want and kill the game's momentum if they are on the end of any foul and or do what the World Cup did and add every bit of time on. Yeah, but then that's just I mean, by doing that you just the players are playing more minutes than they used to and that's just gonna result in a ton of injuries and and probably lower quality of football because players are just more tired. But yeah, I think I think it would be a risk to get rid of it because of the time wasting. I mean, you see players wasting time in plenty of ways and I think it would be difficult for a referee to then stop time wasting from pretending that you're injured and needing treatment because yeah, you're not going to see a referee to go up to a player that's on the floor receiving treatment and give him a yellow card for time wasting. So I think the change in the law that they made that players don't have to go off if it's from a challenge that resulted in a yellow card is good and should help to minimise the issue there if it is regularly applied, which I'm not sure it is. Well, that's everything on the defeat to Burnley. But as was mentioned during that pod, we were later joined by Ali Jones uh, after Pete and I went on to talk about some of the off the field uh, issues. And Ali came on to talk to us about his conversation with Ron Gourlay and Ian Skidmore when he was invited to speak to them last Tuesday before the Chesterfield game and also told us of the future plans for Action for Albion. We have put that into its own pod because we do talk to Ali for a, for a little while. It's about 40 minutes long. So we didn't want to make it one really, really long pod. So to make it a bit more consumable, we have trimmed that out into two different pods. So we've got this one that you've just listened to on the Burnley game. And then there will be one released on Tuesday of this coming week. Uh, relating to everything that goes on off the field and all the stuff that Ali talked to us about. So please do join us for that. But until then, thanks for listening and up the baggies. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with the McNuggets share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.